Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Victoria podcast. Today, as we continue our series on questions Jesus asked, our desire is to be challenged by his teaching and changed more into his likeness. Now, here's today's message. Good morning. The scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 6, and it is verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Adam. Hi, Central. Uh, it's great to be here with you again, whether you're here in the building or at home, whenever, whatever day of the week you're watching this, uh, it's a privilege to open scripture together. And I trust that you've come, uh, you are, wherever you are, prepared to interact with God's spirit in, uh, in this matter. Here we are, question number four in our series questions Jesus asked. And each time as we've talked, as we've introduced this series is meant to invite us to enter into the life of Jesus through his strategic use of questions so that we can then think well, worship well, and live well. Now after putting a couple messages together in this series, I realized even more the incredible complexity of Jesus's questions. There's so many different angles, and I'm sure there will be so many different questions that arise in your mind and your heart after a message in which the question is, why do you worry? As I mentioned last week, the questions Jesus asks us, asked then and asks us now, require us to work. Because Jesus, when he asks the question, isn't like you and I sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, where you are going and you greet somebody and just out of, you know, habit, we say, oh, how are you doing? You know, that's kind of, it's been reduced in in a lot of our conversations as just another way of saying hi, right? But but have you ever had a conversation or started a conversation with somebody and you say, yeah, how are you doing? Or or they ask you, sorry, how are you doing? And you say, yeah, great. And and expecting the conversation to kind of change to something else, but, but, but they're still looking at you. No, no, how are you doing? that they've actually meant that question, right? It can be disarming a little bit. It can be sort of uh, uh, disconcerting, but, 
But this is the kind of thing that Jesus is saying. He's asking a question. He's not asking, why do you worry and then walking away and leaving us, you know, kind of in our own thoughts. He's asking the question and then he's staying and he's looking at us. And he's wanting us to answer this question, why do you worry? I've also been reminded of how valuable it can be to do this work in our lives, really sitting with Jesus as he looks at us and asks these questions, wrestling with our own answer, wrestling with the thoughts that come to mind when we are asked the questions that Jesus asked. And the questions that he asked strike at the heart of what it means to be a human being. And it confronts us with the choices that we have to make between the things of God, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of this world. To choose wisely then as a follower of Jesus, that is to work hard at identifying the options and then to still our heart to actually make a decision or at least to admit a decision allows us to then clarify the resources available for us to face the challenges of life. So here's the question again for today that we need to think about that Jesus is presenting with us or presenting us today. Why do you worry? Notice it's not do you worry? The assumption of the question is of course that that we you and I worry. That there are all kinds of opportunities present in our lives to worry about. For, for my wife and I, Michelle, right? This is the longest that both of us have been away from our youngest daughter, from all three of our daughters, right? And right now she's at camp and, and she's a, a cabin leader at camp. Olivia is her name. And she, if those of you who have been part of camp know what it's like to kind of ride the waves of the ups and downs, the tremendous excitement and energy that is, is there at camp and yet also the way that it just drains you. And, and yet here we are at a distance. We can't, you know, come weekends, come around her and care for her and, and, and support her. We can pray for her. Definitely we do and we talk to her and all of that. But we're reliant on other people who are directly involved in her life. And so we, sometimes if there's a temptation for us to worry. What's, how is she going to respond? How is she going to manage? What, what's going to happen to her faith as a result of this? Is she going to get discouraged? Is she going to experience God's work in her life? Right? There's, and, and you have your own worries to consider, right? You have your own specific issues in your life that, that present opportunities for us to worry. There's never any shortage of these opportunities. But his question for us today, why do you worry, asks us to consider whether there is any reason to worry. That is, given the parameters of life that you and I can choose, how we want to live our life, what you and I want to, to take in as our guide, as our direction, is there really any reason to worry? Now, before we get into the passage, there's just one other thing that I want to address when it comes to dealing with this question. We must also carefully consider our broken humanity. Worry and its related, more intensified versions of anxiety and despair can sometimes be mishandled when off or when we open scripture. If we do so without attending to the realization of our broken humanity, 
reading statements about worry here in Matthew and elsewhere in scripture can leave us with the impression that it's just a matter of stopping, right? You're worrying? Well, just don't. And if you can't, well, you just don't have enough faith then. Now, maybe you haven't heard these specific words, but maybe you've come across this attitude a little bit in Christianity and Christian circles. Just trust God more. You and I, I think, unfortunately, can sometimes unintentionally act cruelly to one another in this way. Don't worry. Trust God. Seems easy, right? Now, now I want to pause for a minute here and say, yes, this is the message. You can't get around this. I don't think you can. I don't think there's another way of reading the, the essence of what Jesus is saying. Don't worry. Trust God. However, sometimes there is more of our brokenness at play. Here's what I mean. On October 12th, 1996, over two years after we were married, Michelle and I experienced a dramatic life change. Sort of like Evan and Laura Lynn, right? The birth of our first child. That was their second, but I'm talking about the birth of our first child. And I will never, those of you who have children, maybe you can attest to this. I'll never forget that, that moment, that experience. But amidst the joy and the wonder of that experience lurked something much darker waiting to emerge. Unbeknownst to us, the birth of our first child instigated a series of events that resulted in Michelle experiencing what is known as postpartum depression. She didn't realize what was happening, and neither did I. Just like I will never forget the moment of the birth of our first daughter, and the other ones too, Madison and Olivia, I remember yours too. I will never forget experiencing the implications of postpartum depression. I remember waking up with Michelle many times to help her attend to our newborn because there were many times when she was just unable to control her emotions and accompanying thoughts. Things got bad enough that we visited the emergency room twice during those first few weeks of having our daughter home with us. Those emergency visits with the doctors were very helpful if only to give us something to call what we were experiencing. We prayed often together. We tried to trust God and not to worry. And the one thing above all that I will remember about that time is looking into Michelle's eyes and knowing that something was wrong, something was different. The look on their face, the helplessness in her eyes, compounded by my own complete lack of understanding was a frightening experience. I learned that there are times when it's impossible Impossible to force yourself on your own to stop worrying, no matter your faith, no matter what you believe, no matter what you think. Sometimes we need to hear this question of Jesus, why do you worry, with a substantial measure of gentleness. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus appears later in Matthew, in chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. There we read a a quote of Isaiah that's applied to Jesus. Here are the words. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. This is talking about Jesus. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry out aloud, nor will uh, anyone hear his voice in the streets. 
He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering rick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. That is gentleness. And that is what Jesus brings. That is a reference to you and I about the nature of our, of our Lord. That when, when circumstances combine with our brokenness, beat us down until it feels like just one more thing will break us completely. When we are vulnerable to, uh, to those things, just like a reed has lost its healthy rigidity, or a wick is just about to go out completely unless someone bring, brings heat to it again to help it regain its fire. That's what the presence of Jesus can bring. He can treat us gently. And sometimes we need to hear the words of Jesus, and sometimes we need to remind others about that. Sometimes we need to really look at the person who is experiencing worry in our life. Before we recite the words like, don't worry, trust God. Like with Michelle and I, sometimes special intervention is required. Sometimes we need to listen to our family, to our friends, to our medical support system. These are all part of the resources that God can use to help provide an answer to the question, why do you worry? Sometimes we need to know that Jesus responds gently to our worries. Sometimes we need to have Jesus confront us and we'll get to that. But sometimes we need to know that Jesus will also help us by coming alongside of us. Are you worried about death? That's okay. I've got this. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they will die, will live. Are you worried about hurt from others? That's okay. I've got this. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Are you worried about the terrible mistakes you made in the past? That's okay. I've got this. When the kingdom is fully revealed, if you confess with your mouth that I am Lord and believe in your heart that God raised me from the dead, you will be saved. Are you worried about your poor health, about your physical or mental weaknesses? That's okay. I've got this. When the kingdom is fully revealed, I will wipe every tear from your eye. Uh, mourning and crying and pain will be no more because they do not have a place in God's kingdom. This is the gentleness of Jesus, the one who will not break a bruised reed, who will not snuff out a smoldering wick. When deep worry resides in our heart and mind, the implications of Jesus' questions don't change. Ultimately, there is no reason, as hopefully I'll point out to you today, there's no reason to worry when God has your back. There are times when we need Jesus' questions to conf confront us. But there are also times when we need Jesus' questions to come alongside us. And in each case, it does not take much force. And if Jesus is like that, then my brothers and sisters, so should we be with others in our lives. So, with all of this backdrop in mind, let's dig into scripture. But before we go or do anything further, please just bow your heads with me for a moment again and let us pray.
Father, just we want to take a moment to acknowledge your presence and recognize the need that we have for the Holy Spirit to help us understand your word. So, Father, I commit my words to you, and Father, I trust on behalf of the, those that are listening that they commit their minds and their hearts and their ears to you, that we would hear what your Spirit has to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing we need to notice about our passage is that begins with a therefore. Now, at the risk of spreading a little cheese on this message, I'm going to say something that's going to sound, I'm going to say, whenever you see in scripture the word therefore, you're going to ask yourself the question, what? What is the therefore? Therefore, right? A little cheesy, right? But it's something helpful, at least for us, in terms of understanding scripture. What is the therefore, therefore? So we're going to ask that question. We're going to look at the context before we get into uh, verses 25 and following. And I'm going to try to do this quick, quite quickly, uh, but there are uh, three sets of two that Jesus, that, that Matthew presents in order to give us this, this part of Jesus' message. Um, there's two storehouses, there's two kinds of vision, and there's two masters. So think of this little prep section as kind of reaffirming my life foundation. What are you building your life on? What, is the, what are the parameters that you are choosing under which to live your life, right? So here, here are the ways that, that Jesus presents this. First of all, two storehouses. Quickly, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither rust uh, nor moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So the first issue is where is your storehouse? What storehouse are you building right now? This is the, this is the, the setup that, that uh, Matthew gives us before he gives us this teaching on Jesus' uh, question about worry. When what are you investing for your future? This is a question of security. What or who do you trust for your future? It's a matter of value. What do you want most out of life? If you're working hard, spending most of your time building your worldly storehouse at the expense of your kingdom storehouse, you risk internal conflict. I'm going to talk about that in a moment as well. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think Jesus here is, is offering a critique of being wealthy, but it's how we approach our, our wealth, no matter what level it's at. How are we using it? What, what are we investing in? What is our priority? Then he moves on in the next two verses to talk about two kinds of vision. Here quickly we read, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. All right, so most commentators think that the, what they, what the, the impression or the implication of this is that they thought that the eye sort of acted like a lamp. And so out of, if you're a healthy person, if you've got a healthy vision, your, your eye is going to kind of illuminate the good things. But if it's unhealthy, then it won't. It, you'll struggle in seeing the good things. So the question is, what do you value? What are you seeing? What are you focusing on? This is the, the uh, underlying uh, meaning to this. Right? It's a map. What do you see? How do you see the world? What are your cues? What are the, the things that you see that you value? What are the cues that, that you're looking for? The pressure to conform in this way can, is not always obvious. Conforming can be merely looking for cues. Uh, or in other words, how am I doing based on worldly metrics? 
right? Size of house, age of car, number of shoes, enough money saved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus is asking us, and we're, we're presented with this right now, what are you looking at? Where are you taking your cues from what is valuable in life, from what is meaningful in life? What, what purpose that you, do you want to hold in life? Where are you looking? And then he ends off with this, this prep section with one verse in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Right? Bottom line here in all of this. Right? There is this temptation, there is this lure, but you can't serve God and wealth. So the question here is, who's your master? Right? Who do you serve? The question is, are you serving, is not, are you serving anybody? But who do you serve? Because we're serving something. And so, and so Jesus challenges us, and the way that Matthew organizes the Sermon on the Mount challenges us right before he talks about worry to say, who is your master? Who are you serving? Who do you want to serve? Now, here's, here, let, let me say this as well. If we say this, so he, here's the thing sometimes we challenge, or, or we'll see this again in, in, the, in our text in just a moment here. But sometimes we have this temptation of saying things. We know what the answer is, right? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you kind of know what the answer is supposed to be, right? The, the answer to the last one is, you know, it's supposed to be God is supposed to be your master, right? The answer to your vision is, well, we should be looking for heavenly cues. We should be looking for spiritual cues. Uh, the, the answer to the first one is, well, our storehouse should be in heaven where it doesn't corrupt, nothing corrupts, right? We know that what the answer should be there. The challenge is, is... Um, the difference between what our desired response to those questions is and what our actual response, that's where the dissonance, that's where the rub is sometimes, right? Where we, where we tell people, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to follow Jesus with my life. I'm wanting to prioritize the kingdom. I'm wanting to, you know, go hard after God. And yet we spend all our time and our resources and our gifting doing something different. Okay, so with this kind of as a backdrop, now we can address Jesus' concern over the things about which we worry. He uses the word merimnao. So I've transliterated it here for you so you can kind of see it and maybe say it to yourself. Merimnao, kind of a fun word to say. This is the word that, that is used in this text for what we translate as worry. Some ways uh, uh, that, that, that it, it can be kind of understood would be like to care for something, right? To be anxious about something, to think earnestly upon something, to scan minutely. And when you read sort of various definitions of the term, I know it's, there's a temptation at this point to say, oh, it's talking about obsession. And there is part of this word that I think it kind of relates to the nature of obsession, but I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to give us that out by saying it's just about obsession, right? If you obsess about this, then you're off base. Jesus is saying, don't obsess about it, or why do you obsess? And here's why, because all of us like to play the comparison game, even Christians, right? So we'll look at words like this, or we'll look at Jesus' comments, you know, about worry, about uh, stress, about anxiety, and we'll go, okay, really if it's about obsession, then all I have to do is think of somebody who I think obsesses more. Right? Oh, if you, if, if, if you want to know obsession, you should, look at, you should look at her. Right? You should see how many hours she spends at work. She's obsessed. 
I'm okay. Or, or look at him. Look at how many hours he spends scrolling through social media and all the, all the people he's following and, 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 uh, and the hours that he spends on that. That's obsession. Not, not, I don't spend that much, right? That's the, uh, that's the comparison game that we like to play. So I'm not going to go there. There's, there's a tinge to it, right? There's this minute uh, where we're thinking minutely about something and that kind of... Uh, uh, verges into obsession, but it means more. But Jesus's term is much richer than that. It doesn't let us off the hook. So while there's a sense of that, uh, instead what I want us to do is to encourage us to think of it in terms of focus in our life. What are you focused on? Or priority, what are your priorities in life? Or importance, what are the things that are really important to you? I don't, mean, I, don't, I don't mean the things that you say are important. I, I mean the things that you spend your money on, the things that you spend your time on, the things you spend your, your talents on. How, what is important to you? And what do you value in life? These are the things that I think Jesus is asking us to consider. And with this in mind, then what does Jesus teach? Well, our text here provides three more therefores that partner with the term Mary Manao to provide the structure. So here they are, three things, verse 25, 31, and 34. Therefore, Jesus starts off by saying, do not worry about your life as defined by food, drink, and clothing, right? So he's addressing the very physical, very material things. Don't worry about life. In other words, he's asking us to first address our, the question of meaning, of value, the overarching parameters again that we say that we want to live by, that we look to, that, that help us identify what cues matter to us. Don't worry about life as defined by food, drink, and clothing, or what is uh, defining your life in that way. Then in verse 34, he specifically addresses this. He says, therefore, do not worry about food, drink, or clothing. Right? A bit of a subtle shift here, but I think he does this intentionally. Because once again, he knows who he's talking to. He knows us. And, and how our propensities. So we'll, we'll look at Jesus and we'll say, okay, okay, Jesus, I get what you're saying in this first therefore, right? I'm not going to worry about, I'm not going to try to define my life based on food, drink, and clothing or any of the material things, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to define it as something larger, something bigger. But then Jesus, knowing us, has to say, okay, still, don't worry about food, drink, and clothing, right? Because he knows it's really easy us to get distracted back into this. So the first, therefore, addresses the bigger question. Let's deal with this first, right? How are we defining our life? And remember those three, uh, those three pair questions that we had, right? Where's your storehouse? What are you investing in? How do you see the world? How do you see life? And who are you serving? So Jesus addresses that. Okay, so we're going to say, yeah, we're not going to define our life. And then he's challenging us to say, still then, don't invest in these things. Don't then turn and, and still treat these things as valuable. He knows that we might think that life is more than these things, but that we still live as if it does. And so he's challenging us to keep confronting this. And then he ends off by saying, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Right? Why don't we worry about tomorrow? Because today has enough concern Stay focused on what is in front of you, right? And this is easy for us to do, I think, as, even as Christians, right? When we say, today, this is the day that the Lord has made, we go to the Psalms and we say, okay, because of that, today is the day that I'm going to do everything I can to invest in God's kingdom. Today, right? 
we'll deal with it tomorrow, but let's focus on today. How can I do that in what I'm doing, right? It's not saying that all of us need to go to uh, Abu Dhabi and, and that's what Jesus is asking us here. He's asking us, where you are right now, how can you invest? How can you and I invest in, in the kingdom? How can you and I be Jesus in the world, in the sphere of influence that you have? What difference does it make that, that you are a follower of Jesus and that somebody in your office isn't? It should. It should be obvious, but we need to invest in those things. We need to, to take, uh, uh, take it, make it a priority, right? There's that word priority. The issues here are magnitude, right? How much time are you spending doing, doing certain activities? How much effort are you exerting? And of course, priority, what matters to you and then what should matter? Remember our understanding of the term Mary Monao. Jesus is asking us to question what matters to us. What is our focus? What is our priorities? What is important and what do we value? First, what this is not saying. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't care at all about those things. It's not permission to go eat and drink whatever you want or whatever you want or, or that we are to eat and live and drink and clothe ourselves with just the basics, just to eat just for the utility. Right? Jesus compares it to birds, right? And I, I don't, you know, I'm not a bird, what is it, an ornithologist? I, I, I'm not a bird expert. But it seems to me that much of a bird's life is meant to go find food, right? Or build a nest. So there's work and there's a commitment to do things that matter to this. It's not Jesus is saying, well, then just sit back and, and open your mouth and God's going to throw food down there. He's saying we've got to do the work, but we've, we've got to put that work into, into, um, into focus. We've got to recognize what the priorities that matter. But it also doesn't mean um, not doing anything to help meet those needs. Jesus uh, uses the birds as an illustration on purpose. But it also doesn't mean that we are not to find any joy in what we eat or drink or wear. Jesus is not here promoting a life bereft of these kinds of pleasures. He uses the illustration of the flower, right? He doesn't say, look at this uh, drab little flower. This is the, the, you know, this is how you should live. You shouldn't, you know, you should be careful about anything um, external. He says, look at this flower. Look how beautiful it is, right? God cares for this. Beauty and pleasure and these sorts of things matter, God's creation is not simple or drab, it's beautiful. Some places in scripture suggest that it's okay to enjoy food, drink, and clothes. Listen to the words in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Go eat your bread with enjoyment and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that are given to you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Now I know we need to be careful about what kind of conclusions we draw from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm not here making a strong moral case that you ought to do these sorts of things, that you ought to always enjoy or you ought to always buy the most expensive. But I'm just saying that, that the Bible seems to suggest that it's okay to enjoy parts of life at times. Physical pleasure in scripture is not always sinful. Just read the Song of Solomon, I'm just saying. It's, but it is a question of focus, of value, and of priority. 
the problem here that Jesus is trying to confront is that these things can become our central concern. Or that we do obsess over what other people are wearing in terms of coveting, right? Looking at others, desiring more and more and better and better. But also it can, it can manifest itself in terms of criticism, right? Focusing on what others are doing and wearing and eating and all that and complaining about that. It works both ways. In this passage, Jesus clarifies then the issue about worry in our life by asking some further questions. Maybe you noticed it while Adam read the scripture today. Listen to these questions again. Do you think that life is more than food and the body is more than clothing? Do you think that you are more valuable to God than birds? Do you think that you could add anything to your life by worrying about it? And do you think that God can provide for you? Now, if you can answer yes to these questions, even in principle, there is no reason to worry. If you and I have committed ourselves to saying from the very beginning, I want to serve Jesus, I want to follow him, I want to live for him. And Jesus presents us that these are the people, this in terms of your response, then my call to you, my invitation to you, my exhortation, my encouragement is to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom righteousness. Seek first the things that are eternal, of eternal significance. Because in that kingdom, worry is useless and unnecessary. Do, do we see this, at least in principle? Right? If the kingdom is ruled by God, almighty God, then what reason do we have to worry? Therefore, the kingdom for us, then those of us who say our followers, should be the priority and the guide. How we live our life. What are the things that matter? And we look to Jesus as, as our example. We look to the disciples that followed. We look to our friends and family. And as, as Jordan prayed, the heritage of Central is full of people to admire. To say, look at how people have lived and can live here and now. This is not just Jesus talking about sort of the uh, uh, um, incredible He's talking about this is what's real for you and I, to focus on these things, to seek first his kingdom. The kingdom, of, the kingdom is what we must marshal all our resources to serve. So these are the rhetorical questions that I want to leave for, with you and, and, how, uh, and, and help you answer these questions. Jesus is still asking these questions that invite a response from each of us each of us as individuals. So I, I'm, I'm uh, rewording these questions a little bit so that they're more uh, individual and personal. Is my life more than food? And my body more than clothing? Do I believe there's more to this life than what, what I see with my eyes? Do I believe that God has more for us? Do I believe there's more things that are valuable uh, in eternity, in reality, than just what we see? Second question, am I, am I more valuable than birds to God? I, I kept the birds in there just, just to kind of tie it back to our passage. It could be anything, fill in the blank there. Am I valuable to God? Do I believe that? This is where I think some of us struggle. And this is where I think, as we'll see in a bit, some more work has to be done. 
but am I more valuable? Am I valuable to God? Can I add anything to my life by worrying? And finally, do I think that God's provision is sufficient for me? So here's a couple ways. Here's how I suggest how we might respond to these questions and to this message, this question of Jesus. And I've I've presented it in two parts. The first part is you may find yourself with a propensity to worry, that you may be worrying uh, regularly, and you may struggle to imagine life without worry and how we deal with it. And if you're in this situation, then let's look at these three things together. First of all, check your foundations. Let's, let's do a little bit of investigation. Go back to the sort of the prep sections from, from verses 19 to 25 or 24 and, and, and deal with those. Am I investing? Am I seeking uh, things that are of eternal value? Am I looking too hard at the cues of materialism? And then, who am I really serving? What do I desire most in life? And, and, and maybe it's there that you need to keep wrestling. Maybe you need to seek some counsel. You, maybe you need to check with some friends or family and, and, and ask, um, how am I doing in these areas? I think, I, think this, I think I've answered them correctly, but I still worry. Well, then take the next step and then answer those questions. Do I think that my, my life is more than food and that my body more than clothing? Do I think that I am valuable to God? Do I think that I can add anything to my life by worrying? And do I think that God's provision is sufficient for me? And answer those questions honestly. And once again, I think that if you struggle with one of these things, seek counsel, talk to one another, look for someone that you trust and that, that uh, is wise, that you can kind of bounce some ideas off of and as you work through some of this. Maybe it's a matter of seeking counseling to work through this question of value especially. And the third one, well, it's just what I just said. Seek help if you struggle to answer any of these questions. Then if you think you're kind of past that, if you think you've got, not that you don't have to go back and look at those things, but if you think you've got a good sense of those three things, then it's time to take that step to that next one and how to minimize worry, right? Because in this world, I don't think we can kind of get rid of it altogether. Just how to minimize it. How do we make it quieter and quieter in our lives? And that is this, prioritize the kingdom or rule of God in your life through righteous living. Set your standards high, just like Jesus invited. Take thought, uh, take captive every thought uh, for the glory of God. Do everything, everything in your life for, for God's glory. Let every word that proceeds out of your mouth be seasoned with grace. Set your standards higher. Commit to live your life by seeking first his kingdom and the righteousness that, that comes alongside. Look at the life of Jesus and seek to mimic what he does. Reach out to those that are vulnerable around you. Care for those. Look for people who are uh, disenfranchised. Look for people in your office that, that uh, don't seem to make right connections or, or connections with people and reach out to them or people that are hurting or your neighbor that doesn't seem to come out or doesn't seem so friendly. There's, there might be reasons why, but this is what it means to seek first the kingdom. Invest in ministry through the church or outside of the church. Read your Bible, pray, right? There is a, a little bit more cheese. Read your Bible, pray, and you'll grow, 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 right? There is some truth to this. 
We need to invest that these are the things that matter. These are the ways that we can minimize, quiet the voice of worry in our life. Because, I mean, just quickly, there is another place in scripture where this mer mena'o, this term is used positively. In other words, there is something that we ought to worry about, we ought to be concerned about. Right? And that's in that uh, section of scripture where Paul uh, addresses married and unmarried. Right? If you're married, you've got this added responsibility of worrying, that's that same word, about your spouse. But Paul says, on the other hand, if you're not, then you can just worry about the things that matter. Seeking first God's kingdom. Let me finish off by just offering one quick visual way to think about this issue. If I was to ask you, uh, or one of your closest friends, what would they say that your life, by how you spend it, and my life, and how I spend it, what does my life point towards? Here's a rather famous painting of John the Baptist. Maybe some of you recognize this one. This is part of the Eisenheim altarpiece by Matthias Grunwald, who painted this in the, in the 16th century. When you look at him, what's your first question? Maybe, well, well what's he pointing at, right? Have you ever stood there, uh, stood in public and just kind of looked up? And, and as people walk by, what are they gonna do? What, what's he looking at? Right, what's she looking at? Here we're going, what's he pointing at? Those of you who know the painting, and probably the rest of you can guess what John the Baptist is pointing at. If you could see the rest of the painting, you would see that he's pointing at Jesus. What a great visual image. All of us should be like this. As we live our lives, as we, as we, uh, uh, as we spend our resources that we have available to us, People should look at us and go, what's he pointing at? What's she pointing at? That's how we demonstrate that the kingdom is come and the kingdom is being revealed, that Jesus is our king, that he is our master, that we are following him. In, in a moment, we're going, to, we're going to celebrate our king together. We're gonna to worship him. But before that, I'm just gonna say a quick prayer. And, uh, and then the music team will come up in just a moment. But let's pray. Father, just like this painting, I pray for each of us that through our attention to our lives, through the ways that we design our lives, we choose things in our life, the way that we spend all the resources that we have available to us, that God, more and more, these things would demonstrate that we are living to point our lives to, to your Son to live for him, not just in words, Father, in deed as well. And help us, Father. Help us as we do that, as we then focus our life on Jesus. It seems to me that you've worked it so that then the worries and the con concerns begin to quiet and diminish, and we lose the intensity of those concerns that we had because we hear this gentle Jesus, or we hear the confrontational Jesus where he says, just stop worrying. Or we hear the gentle Jesus and, uh, who says, I've got this. It's okay. I've got this. 
Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for all the reasons we have to celebrate, to worship him, to give our life, to dedicate our life, to spend our life in his, for his purposes, for his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.